Hey, hey everyone. My name is Agnes Chen and this is a Rise Resilient podcast where we gather and connect so that all can rise resilient. All right, so today is an incredibly special day. It is November 20th, 2020, which makes it National Child Day. National Child Day is celebrated every year on November 20th and has been celebrated across Canada since 1993 to commemorate the United Nations adoption of two documents centered on children's rights. The United Nations Declaration of the Rights of the Child on November 20th, 1959, and the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child on November 20th, 1989. By ratifying the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child in 1991, Canada made a commitment to ensure that all children are treated with dignity and respect. This commitment includes the opportunity for children to have a voice, to be protected from harm, and to be provided with their basic needs and every opportunity to reach their full potential. Today, I am incredibly honored to be speaking with Sarah Austin, a fierce champion for children and the CEO and founder of Children First Canada, a national organization who has an ambitious goal of making Canada the best place in the world to grow up. As Canadians, we often assume that Canada is the best place. However, according to UNICEF, Canada ranks 30 out of 38 affluent nations for children's well-being, and we drop even further on issues such as child poverty. This is a stark contrast to 2007, when we were in 12th place. Today, Sarah not only shares some of the sobering statistics on kids in Canada, but also reminds children and youth of their rights and the importance of using their voice as well as reminds all of us Canadians that children need to be seen and heard. Hello. Hey, Sarah. Now I can hear you. Oh, there, <laughs> there we go. We go. <laughs> That's okay. A lot, I, we, I've often have this struggle with uh, the earpieces not, you know, joining up together. So I'm glad that it's working. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know how busy you are, so... Uh, with National Child Day tomorrow. So I will we'll try to keep this um, as brief as possible, even though there's so many things I'd love to catch up with you on. Yep, uh, I'm we so will... glad we're doing this. Thank you, Agnes. You are the founder of Children First Canada. So can you tell us a little bit about the road that led you to creating Children First Canada and why you thought it was so important? Well, thank you so much, Agnes. And first, I want to say, um, you know, how grateful I am for the chance to have this conversation. I am such a huge fan of yours and deeply admire and respect the incredible work that you are doing um, to change children's lives here in our community and across the country. And you've been a great supporter of, of mine and of Children First Canada. So thank you. Um, oh, so I'll just thank you. Thank you for that. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. But thank you that you you really are a mentor. So I just thank you for everything you do. But you go ahead. Well, let's talk about Children First Canada. Well, thank you. Um, so Children First Canada, we're celebrating our fifth anniversary this month. And you know, this has been a really exciting journey for me. Um, you know, I've spent my whole life advocating for kids. I was a young child activist myself and um, have spent, you know, my whole life um, advocating for kids here in Canada and around the world. Uh, much of my work took place um, internationally. I worked across Asia and Africa and Latin America, but had always stayed engaged with kids' issues here in Canada. And, you know, in the early days of my career, this dates me, but I started my career in, um, in the late 90s. And at the time, Canada really was a world leader for children. Canada was, you know, at the top of the charts for, for many of the key indicators for children's rights and health and well-being. But over the course of my career, I saw that um, being, um, being etched away. You know, over time, we began to fall down the ranks 
Um, and, and to put that into perspective, uh, in you know, a decade ago, Canada was ranked 10th for children's well-being. We are currently ranked 30th out of 38 wealthy nations for children. So we have fallen far behind. And so when you come back to that vision that we have of making Canada the best place in the world for kids to grow up, we have a long way to go. Um, but there is this persistent myth that this is a world-leading country for kids. And, uh, you know, every time I'd come back from my international missions and work overseas, you know, people would say, you must be really proud to be Canadian. Kids in Canada have won the jackpot of life. This is a great place to be a child. Um, and I, But I knew that wasn't true. I knew that we had been uh, tracking in the wrong way for, for too long. And so that really got me curious and, and got me um, speaking. You know, I went and, and began meeting with leaders across the country, leaders of organizations like Kids Help Phone and the Boys and Girls Clubs, leaders of children's hospitals and major corporate leaders who invest in the lives of our children and, and began speaking about my concerns and trying to understand what their thoughts and their concerns were and, and what could we do that would really be a game changer for children. And the culmination of all of that was that, you know, the resounding sense that there was a gap in the charitable landscape in Canada, that there was no national child advocacy organization, nobody really speaking out for our children and nobody enabling the voices of children themselves in a profound way at the national level. And so that led to the establishment of Children First in 2015. And, and here we are five years later, and it's been a wild and crazy ride. And I'm just so thrilled to have you, Agnes, and um, you know so many other Canadians who, who've caught this vision and who are working together to, to really make this a world-leading country for our children. Amazing, Sarah. I just think of the advocacy work that you have done is incredible. Can you touch on, you know, you said it was 10th place, you know, when you first started and now we're at 30th. Why do you think there has been such a decline? Well, and there's a number of things we can point to. I mean, one of them is that there's no one really leading the charge. You know, when I think back to those, uh, to the late 90s and or even the mid 90s, when Canada was really, um, you know, amongst the, the top rated countries for children's health and well-being, um, the federal government had appointed um, somebody. There was uh, her name is Landon Pearson. She was a senator at the time and had been appointed as a special representative to the prime minister um, to really lead the charge. She was given the mandate to um, to consult all levels of government to bring the federal and provincial governments together. Uh, she crafted what's known as a Canada Fit for Children. It was a national plan and strategy to make. Canada world-leading country for kids. So there was national leadership. There were people um, dedicated with resources working together. We had a plan of action and, and it was working. Uh, but over time that, um, you know, people changed, that nobody was appointed to that mandate. Uh, the plan fell by the wayside. You know, we had successive changes of government. And, you know, I think we fell into this dangerous trap of just assuming that, um, that our kids were surviving and thriving. Um, when in fact we were beginning to, to, to fall behind and nobody was in charge, nobody was holding the government accountable. And, and here we are 10 years later and it's all fallen apart. And, you know, we're trying to rebuild, re, rebuild a national agenda, getting kids issues back on the agenda, whether it's in federal elections or in the middle of a pandemic, you know, drawing attention to the fact that our, you know, some of our leading indicators for children's health and well-being, child poverty, child abuse, uh, children's mental wellness are really suffering and, and we can and should be doing much better. Mm-hmm. And I know that in your call to action for the government of Canada, one of those things is to appoint a federal commissioner for children and youth. And I remember hearing you speak previously at other countries that do have a federal commission for children and youth, as well as they do have a children's budget, which is another um, part of your call to action. 
what can you speak to what you have seen in other countries who do have these and how that has improved? It comes back to you know having somebody in charge and having the resources to to, to drive against those plans. Uh, when we look at some of the world leading countries, you know many of them have children's commissioners or children's ombudspersons, uh, people who are independent. You know one of the real struggles is that sometimes in our current government we have a minister for children, but often it's a minister of children and currently it's a minister of children, families, and social development. That's a really huge mandate, and so mm-hmm. their their full attention isn't devoted to children. And ministers are partisan. They represent the interests of the government of the day. Um, and when that government changes, obviously the priorities change. And sometimes we don't have a minister for children at all. And so the idea of a children's commissioner is that there would be somebody independent, free from political influence, whose sole job it is, is to promote the rights and well-being of children, to engage directly with kids, to hear directly from children, to be able to go and, you know, pop into a school or into a group home or into a detention center or wherever the case may be and meet directly with children and, um, but also receive, receive correspondence um, from children themselves or from advocates who can, are concerned about children and be that strong voice for our children. And of course that goes with the idea of having a children's budget, actually having greater transparency. Kids represent a quarter of our population. They're a hundred percent of our future. And yet currently we have very little way of knowing how much our government is spending on our children. Uh, Is that money actually achieving its intended impact or could we spend our money better and get uh, much more effective results if um, we we believe we can through a children's budget that that will actually create the transparency and accountability that we need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that's something that a lot of individuals and I know for me up until four years ago, I didn't when I, I heard you speak, I didn't realize that there wasn't a children's budget and there wasn't somebody dedicated specifically to children. And I think that that is a huge awareness piece as well that that you are spreading, that we need that. Um, so I'm grateful for that. The other part that I think is really amazing about Children First Canada is you are empowering children to be their own voice and to advocate for the issues that are important to them. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's one thing for me and you to be advocating for kids. Of course, you know, kids need adults who can be champions for them within their families and their schools and within our government. But kids need to be able to speak up for themselves. And it begins with learning that they have rights. We were just releasing a new poll uh, on National Child Day today um, that it, you know, the results are quite disturbing and, and startling. Less than half of kids in Canada know that they have rights, and three quarters of kids don't know what to do if their rights are violated. You know, that's you know we tend to pride ourselves as Canadians as being um, you know this great country that promotes uh, human rights and respects democracy, and yet in our own country, majority of kids not knowing that they have rights and not knowing what to do if their rights are violated is worrying to me as an advocate for all eight million kids, let alone as a parent of a ten-year-old. And so it needs to start with teaching children that they have rights. It's a big part of the work that we do at Children First on days like today on National Child Day and and throughout the year, teaching kids that they are right holders and and giving them a seat at the table when decisions are being made about their lives. And we've had a youth ambassador program for several years that's uh, enabled children to be able to speak to media, to speak with our government, to speak with corporate leaders and, of course, speak with their peers across the country. And this year, we were really excited to launch a new program called the Young Canadians Parliament. It's, you know, it's, it's not a radical concept, but it's something I've seen done all around the world in countries as diverse as uh, Colombia and uh, the Congo, where children learn about their rights and then have the chance to meet with their peers to discuss their rights, explore how their rights are being violated and bring forward 
policy solutions, their own laws and policies and programs that they want to see brought into force and have the chance to meet with um, with representatives in our government. And we launched this program earlier this year in June. And throughout the course of the pandemic, kids have been meeting every single month um, to talk about the ways in which their rights are being violated during the pandemic, to learn about issues like their mental health or food security or protection from violence, issues of diversity and inclusion and uh, systemic racism and to talk about these really profound issues that they experience day in and day out in their lives and in the lives of their peers. And then to be able to speak with members of parliament and the Senate um, and bring forward their ideas and put our government into the hot seat and pose really profound and um, uh, challenging questions uh, that will provoke really meaningful discussion with our government leaders and that open up an opportunity for children's voices to be heard at the highest levels of government. Yeah, that's amazing. I know that, you know, there was um, a local Calgarian, you you shared a story previously about how, you know, having somebody in grade six or seven ask somebody in parliament uh, a really a question about why aren't things changing that that's huge. And that's so empowering for that youth to go forward knowing, hey, I do have rights. I just think that that's so incredible, Sarah. I, um, I mean, the kids are young. I mean, the program is open to any young Canadian. So, if, you know, you're listening and either you're a young person or you have uh, kids in your life that um, that are socially active and want to be involved. You know, you can sign up and, and take part in this. The kids meet every month. And it's a really profound experience. The youngest participants so far have been six and seven, and they're up to the age of 17 and 18. And it's really incredible to see these kids come together from such diverse parts of the country with such diverse life experiences and forge these incredible bonds together, make friendships all across the country and be a part of a really powerful movement for social change that's changing their lives and is changing the lives of all kids in our country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the things from the the report that was just released, the Raising Canada report, which we can talk about in a second, but one of the findings that's new was that children and youth had a different view of where their mental health rank compared to their parents. Um, and I think a comparison of responses given by parents and youth revealed that about half the time, 52%, they do not share the same opinion of their own mental health. And that's huge when we're thinking about what resources and how well our youth are doing. Yeah, it is worrying, you know, for me as a parent um, to think that um, you know, I may be out of touch with, with what's happening in my own child's mental health. You know, in our family, I think we have pretty open and transparent discussions around uh, mental health and uh, struggles around depression, anxiety, uh, just the, the, the concerns that we all have experienced in the best of times, let alone what we've been going through during the pandemic. But really what this poll brought to light was that there is a disconnect. Parents have an overinflated sense of their children's mental health. Uh, kids are much more likely to express um, concerns around their mental health and and feel like they don't have access to the mental health supports that they need to survive, let alone thrive. You know, one of the stats from this latest Raising Canada report that really it's the one that keeps me up at night is that suicide is now the leading cause of death for children ages 10 to 14. I have a 10 year old boy. I know I, this really worries me that he and his peers, uh, this is the greatest threat to their life. And it really um, is a, a wake-up call to parents, let alone to Canadians, that our kids are struggling. They're struggling with mental health. They don't have supports that they need. Even when they can overcome the stigma of their mental health and speak out and ask for help, and parents have the capacity to, to advocate and reach out for services, they're often put on wait list for a year, sometimes upwards of two years to get mental health supports. That's unacceptable. 
mental health is clearly, mm-hmm. you know, the poor cousin of health in Canada. And uh, that's, this is, uh, it's putting our kids' lives in danger. Uh, it's, it's deeply worrying to me and we need to do better. This past September, Children First Canada released Raising Canada 2020, which is a joint research report that highlights the state of children in Canada. The findings reveal that most of the top 10 threats to children may be increasing or in danger of increasing because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The top 10 threats reported in the document include unintentional and preventable injuries, poor mental health, child abuse, poverty, infant mortality, physical inactivity, food insecurity, systemic racism and discrimination, vaccine preventable illness, and bullying. Some key findings in the report include suicide remains the second leading cause of death for youth aged 15 to 24 and is now the leading cause of death for children aged 10 to 14. One third of Canadian adults report experiencing some form of child abuse before the age of 15. Child poverty remains a persistent threat to children in Canada and is the single largest determinant of health according to the World Health Organization. And one in five children and youth aged 15 to 20 experience cyberstalking, cyberbullying, or both. Raising Canada 2020 is the third of an annual series of reports on the health and well-being of children in Canada produced for Children First Canada in partnership with the University of Calgary O'Brien Institute for Public Health and the Alberta Children's Hospital Research Institute. You can find more information and the report on Children First Canada's website at www.childrenfirstcanada.org. You know, when it comes to looking around the world and what other countries are doing, um, one of the things that stood out for me was that we didn't really have a national report card on the state of childhood in Canada. There were global reports. UNICEF puts out an annual report comparing us to other wealthy nations, but there was nothing that really looked uh, purely at the Canadian context and that involved kids themselves. And so in 2018, we partnered with the University of Calgary with the O'Brien Institute for Public Health. Um, It was our first kick of the can, really to collect national data and provincial data to get a sense of what's happening in the lives of our children. And the results were were quite startling and created a a huge um, uh, tidal wave of of national interest. You know, we got tons of media coverage from it. It created conversations all across the country, you know, in national media, around water coolers. Uh, There was a special Senate session held to discuss the report. Um, The federal government brought together all the departments that touch the lives of children to look at the findings. And, and clearly, you know, we were on to something. And so we decided to continue that partnership with the University of Calgary. And, and now we've report, released three reports um, and really trying to provide a, a sense of what's happening in the lives of children, uh, pro- providing that national and provincial view of what's happening on, on the key issues that are threatening children and that prevent them from achieving their full potential. And I think, you know, any Canadian who sees it is quite startled by it. The things um, that stand out uh, are really quite shocking. You know, the the mental health stats we've already talked about, but uh, preventable injuries is, again, one of the leading causes of death for kids in our country. And it's because of um, accidents that are entirely preventable, bike accidents where kids are not wearing their helmets, hockey accidents where kids, again, are not, um, you know, they're getting serious concussions and brain injuries. Uh, but, you know, one that also is worrying to me is the high numbers of kids dying because of choking or drowning. And again, these are things that, you know, we can do more in the way of providing parents with better knowledge and skills to how to keep their kids safe, but even better laws to protect our kids on sim- simple things like 
booster seat regulations and, and child seats. Uh, the Canadian Pediatric Society has pointed out that we just do a really poor job in Canada of basic things like booster seat and, and child seat regulations, let alone things like vaccinations. Um, and these are just the simple things our kids need to survive, let alone you know, the, the, the more challenging things like their mental health supports. Um, you know, there's so much we could dig into this report, but it's really, you know, for Canadians who care about their children and care about kids across our country, this report is a great place to, 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 to start to look at what's happening in the lives of our children and to figure out how we can do better in advocating for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do Can you comment on why you think, and I, maybe the answer is really obvious to this, but why is it always such a stark reality for a lot of Canadians when we hear that we're 30th? Um, that, you know, the health and well-being isn't as good as it could be and that we need to be doing better. It really is a persistent myth. And I mean, I think a part of it goes back to the fact that we used to be world leaders. And so somehow that got lodged into our, you know, collective psyche that, you know, we were a great place mm-hmm. to raise a child. Many of us had great childhoods. Um, not all of us did. You know, some of us dealt with incredible adversity in our early years. I know that's something you're such a passionate advocate about is that, you know, lots of us grew up with with difficult childhoods. Um, but, you know, if, if that wasn't your own personal experience, if you did have a good childhood or, if, you know, you've, you you read the headlines in those, you know, back in the mid-90s when we were world leaders, um, even our government leaders to this day continue to use a lot of rhetoric about this being a great place to raise a child. It's not uncommon to hear mayors and premiers um, state that their city or their province is the best place to raise a child. But that isn't actually true. And so, um, you know, we have to combat that persistent myth and confront it with the hard reality. And that's really part of what the Raising Canada report does is, is to confront Canadians with the harsh reality, but not only confront the, the, the reality, but then point to the solutions. What can we do? What is possible? And galvanizing a sense of collective action that we can and should be doing much better. You know, with COVID, we know that it's flipped a lot of our lives um, and complicated a lot of issues that exist in our homes and our communities. Can you talk about how the 2020 report differs from other years because of COVID and what are kind of the key messages because of COVID in the new Raising Canada report? Well, this year, I mean, the report really is, um, you know, points out that children's health and well-being was in a bad state even before the crisis, but the crisis has made a bad situation much worse. You know, in the report, you'll see some pre-COVID data, you know, that stat around mental health being the leading cause of death for kids ages 10 to 14 is pre-COVID data. So that was just prior to the pandemic. And then we have new data that shows that, you know, all the top 10 threats to children are either worsening or at risk of worsening. Um, you know, it's the obvious things. Of course, child poverty is uh, is on the rise in Canada during the pandemic, uh, with so many parents losing employment or having to uh, reduce the, their their work or change their work to be able to support the children's learning needs um, and deal with gaps in childcare in recent months um, that are putting children at risk of poverty, whether that's around housing or food security. Uh, you know, one's finding from the report that was deeply concerning to me was that barely 5% of kids in Canada were meeting their daily physical activity guidelines. You know, in some ways that makes Mm. sense because our kids were confined at home. They weren't able to go to recess. They weren't able to play with their friends. They weren't able to do um, group sports. Um, But to think barely 5% of kids meeting their daily physical activity guidelines, not only does it impact their physical health, but of course it's going to have an impact to their mental health. We all know when, when we're busy and active and, and and keeping our bodies healthy, that our minds are healthy as well. Um, and so this is one that was concerning to me. Another was um, 
vaccination rates um, steeply dropped off. Uh, there was a 20% decrease in vaccination rates for children. You know, everybody was talking about the COVID vaccine and, and making sure that we're going to, you know, all make sure that we're protected from COVID. But here we are, you know, many kids at risk of the simple things like mumps and measles and, uh, you know, you know, for lots of reasons, parents weren't taking their kids to the doctor or kids weren't in school and getting vaccinations that way. Uh, but you know, with kids being back in school and back in daycare, we need to ensure that their vaccination records are up to date and that we're preventing um, the things that, that will, you know, that put our children's lives in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's so much to this report that I know that, yeah, we could dive into all the different areas. But I think it's it's huge how the pandemic has pandemic has really highlighted a lot of those issues. Um, and this report definitely speaks volumes to that as well. well. And I think one thing that really stands out to me, and this, I mean, we were worried about in the early days of the pandemic and continue to be concerned about is that one of the first public policy measures that was taken during the pandemic was to shut down schools. You know, I realized, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't know a lot about the uh, about COVID, uh, um, about the disease and its transmission in those early days, but it was one of the first decisions that was made to shut down schools. And there were a whole lot of assumptions that were being made, assumptions that kids would be safe at home, assumptions that uh, parents would be able to meet their, their children's educational needs, assumptions that, you know, it's just a little bump in the road and kids will bounce back, they're resilient. Lots of these assumptions are proving to be false. Many kids were not safe at home. That you know, home is not a safe place for kids who experience violence and who had no safe, trusted adult who could see them, and check on them, and report concerns. Uh, lots of kids didn't. You know, they lost access to their breakfast and lunch programs and went hungry for months on end. Um, some community organizations really rallied to you know with ground bagging programs and and helped. But those were stopgap measures that were filling the breach um, and where our, many governments simply didn't rise to meet the challenges, uh, let alone our, the educational needs. We know, you know, you know, eight months into this pandemic, that children's educational um, uh, opportunities are really lagging and that's going to set them back for months, possibly years to come. There's new research coming out that uh, children's educational disruption that they've experienced, you know, has potential for to impact them negatively on their income potential as adults, that impacts them individually, but it also impacts us collectively as Canadians when we think about a loss in income potential for, for individuals and, and for a whole generation of children. So there are very grave implications around the public policy decisions that are being made, um, you know, supposedly around the best interests of all Canadians, or uh, but uh, that our children are, are suffering gravely. And so we're really advocating that uh, public policymakers need to be taking a child-first approach, thinking about uh, the impact of their decisions on the lives of children and speaking directly with kids themselves and getting kids input around how we can do better and keeping them healthy and well and keeping them safe. I, I'm not, as much as I want to dive into more of this this report, it is on your website and it is really, um, it really lays out all the key points all the top 10 issues that are impacting Canadian kids, um, as well as the call to action for the government of Canada. And I know we touched on that already. It's to appoint a federal commissioner for children and youth, create a national strategy to tackle the top 10 threats, which are in that report, and publish a children's budget, all of which you've touched on. Um, You know, this is maybe a bit of a different take, but knowing that this work is, you know, can be exhausting. You have been on the front lines of child advocacy work for the last two decades. What's your advice, you know, for businesses, organization, everyday individuals, grassroots initiatives like myself who are advocating, you know, and and, and who are on the front lines and really supporting children today? Well, you know, it's, 
it's something that I wrestle with every day. You know, when I look at the results of the Raising Canada report or any new research piece that we do, it, it feels totally daunting. I know it's overwhelming to think about all the problems and figure out how on earth are we going to change the story for, for, for kids. Uh, and yet what gives me hope each and every day are, are the kids themselves. You know, whether I look into my eyes of my own son um, or into the eyes of the kids that I get to work with all across the country, you know, they are so bright and so full of potential. And I think about the kids, particularly who I've been meeting with for the Young Canadians Parliament. If these kids who were struggling with these issues, who were suffering day in and day out, can uh, find the wherewithal to show up in their free time and to, to, to spend time learning and to spend time advocating, you know, the least we as parents and as educators and community members can do is to show up for them too. I mean, I know... Um, you know, the vast majority of parents want the very best for their children and that we're all trying to do our best for our kids. But, you know, clearly the, uh, the Raising Canada report is a wake up call that we can and should be doing better. And, you know, one of the ways we can do that is through our uh, political activism. You know, it's not um, a complicated thing. And sometimes it feels daunting to think about emailing or tweeting at your member of parliament or even the prime minister or our minister for children and families. But, you know, our children deserve it. They deserve to have people who will speak up for them. And they also have the, you know, deserve to be given the opportunity to speak up for themselves and to learn that they have rights. So, you know, one simple thing you can do today is just talk about the, um, the rights of children with the kids in your life, your, your own kids, your grandkids, your students, whatever the case may be. Talk about children's rights. Teach them about their rights. Uh, you can download a poster about the rights of children in child-friendly language from our website. Um, that's one place, place to start. But then, you know, sign the call to action. Demand better for our children and demand accountability from our prime minister from all levels of government. This is a nonpartisan issue. Whatever your political stripes may be, we need all par political parties coming together in the best interest of children. We know that when we invest in the lives of children, that all Canadians will prosper. And, um, you know, this is from a very self-interested perspective that is in our own individual best interest if we invest in the lives of our children. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. I just, yeah, thank you for all of that. I think what you're doing and and how you're empowering not only other advocates, but youth is just so incredible, Sarah. And on that note, tomorrow is National Child's Day. What does that day mean to you? You know, it is one of my favorite days of the year. I mean, I spend every day focused on the lives of children, but it's, you know, it's a really special day because it means I get to get all Canadians involved with me and, and talking directly with kids themselves. You know, this year, the theme is children being seen and heard. You know, we all know the old adage that children should be seen, not heard, but, you know, and, uh, I think that's the, uh, the uh, an absolutely wrong perspective. And we know that children have a right to be seen and heard. And so this is a chance when we can get to do that, to celebrate the the children in our lives. This has been a tough year for all Canadians, but especially for our children. So National Child Day is a chance to celebrate the kids in our lives, you know, do something special for them today and uh, celebrate their rights and celebrate them and how special they are. Um, but it's also a chance in which we can uh, collectively as a country say our kids deserve better and speak up on behalf of them and empower them to speak up for themselves. Amazing. And how can we support you and Children First Canada tomorrow? I know that there are there is a hashtag seen and heard. There is obviously the call to action. And you do have an event that we can all 
join and watch and listen into. Yes, we have an amazing event happening at 1 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Mountain. Um, you go to nationalchildday.org. Uh, the event will be live streamed there. You'll be hearing from incredible child and youth advocates all across the country. We're hosting the event with CBC Kids News. Um, so we'll, we'll be just having such incredible speakers. We'll be having leaders from um, our prime minister will be speaking and all of the political leaders from across the federal parties will be sending greetings to kids. Uh, but most importantly, we'll be listening to kids themselves, kids who are change makers in their community, in their province and across the country who were making such profound changes on issues like climate change and racism and bullying and a whole host of other issues. And it's you know just a time to come together. We have more than 2,500 people registered, uh, kids in classrooms and hospitals and homes all across our country are going to be joining. So whether you're a kid or a kid at heart, we hope you'll join us. And if you can't join the live stream, uh, you'll be able to see the recording afterwards and, uh, and hope you'll just join in the celebrations. Amazing. Well, Sarah, I, you know, the child in me, the mother, the auntie, the friend, the neighbor um, in me just thanks you so much for everything that you are doing for Canadian kids. You know, truly you are, um, somebody I admire, not just for the work, but for the heart that goes be- behind, you know, behind the work. And um, yeah, so just thank you for everything and for taking the time today when tomorrow is a huge day for you. Well, thank you, Agnes. I'm just such a big fan of yours. And I know I just, um, you know, the way in which you've taken a really difficult childhood uh, that you experienced and the way that you were transforming your own life and the lives of the kids that you know and love, your own family, but also uh, through the work that you do. Um, engaging all of us and caring for our children in, in a really profound way. So thank you for that. And thank you for inspiring me and, and all of us to be able to do better for our children. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Thank you very, very much. We will be in touch because I'd love to catch thank up. Thank you. Have a happy National Child Day. You too. Okay, take care. Take Thank you to Sarah Austin for joining me today and thank you to the whole Children First Canada crew for all they do in advocating for children. I would also like to thank anybody out there who is fiercely advocating, supporting and loving on the children of our communities. I hope you all have a beautiful National Children's Day. To find more about Children First Canada and the events that are happening today, please check out their website at www.childrenfirstcanada.org. Thank you and have a beautiful day.